welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. We're beginning a uh, seven-week series uh, focusing on hope in our small groups, our life groups, which, by the way, there's a sign-up table outside if you've not signed up to participate in in a small group. Uh, yet this next semester that we're starting. Uh, they're also going to be studying something called Seven Stories of Hope. You don't have a book to go with it. Uh, what you're going to do each week is discuss the passage of Scripture that I preach on Sunday morning, and, and you're also going to practice sharing it uh, in a story form. Uh, we're hoping to encourage you to learn how in a non-threatening way to go up to someone you work with or someone you see at the marketplace or whatever and and share with them a story of hope in kind of a concise way. Um, And we live in a culture, as we established last week, where people need hope. We've kind of got an epidemic of hopelessness going on in our culture. So instead of you approaching someone and beating them on the head with the Bible and saying, you sinner, you... (laughs) which that's true because we're all sinners, right? However, I I think we might have an open door into their heart a little bit better if we approach them and say, can I I tell you a story about hope? Because we have a lot of hope in the gospel, amen? There's a lot of hope in in the New Testament. So I hope you will join a small group this time because we won't do this on Sunday morning, but during your small group time, you're going to practice and model with each other how to share a story of hope. And you'll also be breaking down the passage of Scripture that I deal with on Sunday morning and asking yourself really specific questions like, well, what does this teach me about Jesus? Or what does this say about the other people that are in the story? Or uh, what sin is here that I need to avoid? Or what promise is here that I need to claim? Or what practice is here that I need to be uh, doing in my life? Uh, and, and especially a really important question each week will be to maybe ask yourself how you see yourself in that story that we're talking about. The story of hope we're going to focus upon this week involves a lady that came into a party that Jesus was at. He'd been invited to go to a Pharisee's house and have a meal. And this lady walks in and she washes his feet with her hair. And there's a Pharisee there looking at her, judging her, because he says she's a sinner. So we're looking at a sinful woman finding hope. That ought to be attractive for all of us today, because as I said earlier, the Bible says all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And it's a wonderful thing to see that we can have hope, even though that we are, are sinners. So I want you to notice four things with me today that maybe can help us see hope for our own lives and see how to share hope with, with other people as we go through this story in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And I'm just going to kindly read along in that as we do the message instead of read it all uh, right now. First of all, I want you to notice this in the story that we're looking at this sinful woman uh, today. I, I want you to notice that forgiven sinners can have a confident hope. 
People who are forgiven, people who have faith in Jesus, people who've had their sins forgiven, we, we can have a confident hope in, in our lives instead of our lives being filled with doubt or dread when we think of, of trying to be in the presence of God or the presence of Jesus, we can actually have a confident hope. In verse 36 and 37 uh, of Luke chapter 7, the Bible says this, one of the Pharisees, and just a little background there, if you know anything about the way Pharisees are portrayed in the New Testament, they were the type of people that liked to attract praise for themselves. They wanted people to think well of them. They, they, they wanted to kind of lift themselves up before uh, people and, and kind of had that type of attitude. And they tended to look down upon other people quite often when you see them behave in the New Testament. So one of these Pharisees asked him, talking about Jesus, to eat with him. So Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, which that is kind of a kind way of saying a, a woman of ill repute, uh, a woman that was really recognized as, as being a, a sinner, who was a sinner when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. We're not told why this Pharisee asked Jesus to come to his house. Maybe he authentically wanted to know Jesus better and learn some things about Jesus. Maybe because of what we see Pharisees and scribes doing in the New Testament, maybe he just wanted Jesus to come in there so he could try and spy on Jesus a little bit and find some type of occasion to say something against Jesus or to work against Jesus. Potentially because Pharisees like notoriety, maybe he thought, well, if I have this guy, this, this new rabbi that's shown up on the scene and he's going around doing these miracles, if I have him into my house, maybe that will give me a degree of notoriety or novelty. Maybe that's why he in invited Jesus into his house, but we don't know for sure. One thing we can pretty much know for sure, though, because of the attitude of Pharisees that we see in the New Testament Whenever this Pharisee sees this woman of the city, this woman of ill repute, this sinner come into his house, it probably didn't make him very happy. He was probably upset thinking, how dare this woman come into my house? After all, as a Pharisee, he had his reputation to be concerned about. To be more concerned about her, his reputation, that he would be concerned about her as, as a person. Now, a little bit more background before I kind of jump into to what we're talking about. Uh, there are two occasions, and you need to be aware of this, in, in the New Testament where Jesus has a lady come in and anoint him. Uh, some people confuse the two, and that's why I wanted to point that out. Some people make this lady in this story to be Mary Magdalene, which it could be, but we don't know for sure. We're not told that. And when you look at a chronological study of the Bible, Mary Magdalene is not mentioned until later, but it still could be her. But we know it is not Mary or Martha either one, because later on, when Mary does come in and anoint Jesus and cry over Jesus, they're not in a Pharisee's house. Instead, they're at the home of Mary and Martha in a town by the name of Bethany, and they're having a celebration. And the reason they're having a celebration is this. Their brother Lazarus had died, 
And Jesus raised him from the dead. That's a pretty good reason to have a party, amen? So they're throwing this party in honor of Jesus. Now, you might think, well, yeah, I would throw a party for Jesus too if something like that would happen for me. Well, if you know Christ is your Savior, that has happened because the Bible says you are dead in trespasses and sin. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you've been made alive. So all of us who know Christ as our Savior, we've got a reason to throw a party. We've got a reason to celebrate. And that's what was taking place when he was anointed with the perfume the second time. This instance, though, we don't know for sure who it is. A lot of Bible scholars, because once again, if you look at a chronological Bible, in in Matthew 11, something happened in Matthew 11 right before this story in Luke to where Jesus had given an invitation. Jesus had said, let all of you that are weary take my yoke upon you. Let all you who are weary in need of rest come to me and you'll find rest. So a lot of Bible scholars feel like this lady, whether it's Mary Magdalene or not, this lady who was a sinner, this lady who was a lady of the city, she had heard Jesus give that invitation, come to me and find rest, and she was of the persuasion that she really needed rest because of the guilt in her life. And she had maybe exercised faith in Jesus at that point in time. But for whatever reason, this lady that we're focusing on today, she finds the confident hope to do a couple of things that I think are pretty significant. First of all, she has the confident hope to go into a Pharisee's house. Now, in our culture, that may not mean as much to us as it did in that day and time. If you'll reflect back to what I said a moment ago about Pharisees. They were really good at being judgmental. They were really good at being self-righteous. And this lady who knew she was a sinner, she didn't need someone to say, hey, you're messed up. She knew she was messed up. This lady who knew she was a sinner goes into a Pharisee's house, which would not happen in that culture. A lady of ill repute, a lady of the city would not have thought, well, it's an okay thing for me to go over here to the Pharisee's house and hang out for a little while. She would not have received an invitation to go to his house. And in fact, by their culture in that day and time, women were very much more minimized than what they are in our culture today. And a woman would not even have received an invitation to go to the banquet. She might receive an invitation to come wait on the table to come do this and come do that, but not an invitation to be a participant there at the party. So this lady, this lady of ill repute, somehow either because of the attraction of Jesus having heard him speak or seen the miracles or or maybe the the life change she had experienced from, from trusting in him, this lady somehow finds a confident hope to enter into a Pharisee's house. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, how in the world does that apply to us today? Because we don't have a group of people that go around and call themselves Pharisees. Well, while it's true that we don't have a group of people that go around and call themselves Pharisees, we definitely still have people who are Pharisees in our culture. People who are legalistic, people who are self-righteous, people who want to exalt themselves at the expense of others. 
People who want to look down upon sinners and, and act like they're okay, that there's nothing wrong with them, but look at this terrible sinner over here. There are still people like that in our culture. And regrettably, there are people who are sinners who would maybe look at us as church people because we're church people and think, you know what, I, I can't even go and hang out with that person because they're so religious. I, I, they, they would never invite me into their house. And some people that are sinners would think, well, if, if I show up and go to their churches on Sunday morning, they're going to look at me odd because I, I've got these problems in my life and this sin in, in my life. And they're going to look down on me if I try and show up at church. Now, that's a tragedy that that's true, isn't it? Because we need to remember that all of us have sinned, all of us fall short of the glory of God, and we ought to be happy for anyone to walk in the doors of this church and sit here wanting to hear something of hope, maybe for their lives, from Jesus Christ. And yet there are people who feel like they can't. There are people who think, oh, I couldn't go home with you. You're, you're a Christian. You're, you're too religious. You're too self-righteous. I can't go home with you. I can't even hang out at your churches but because of the attitude that you have. Folks, that's, that's, that's a reality that we need to change. The Bible teaches that we're to be hospitable to people, even hospitable to strangers. The Bible even tells us by entertaining strangers, we might be entertaining an angel, not even knowing that we're entertaining an angel. So, so you and I need to be careful that we don't act like a Pharisee and, and cause someone to think they don't have any, any hope to even hang out with us or be around us because they're thinking we're going to be judgmental, legalistic, and looking down on them. She not only had the confidence to enter a Pharisee's house, she also has the confidence to approach Jesus. The confidence to come in and approach Jesus. Now, once again, in our culture in this day and time, that doesn't sound like a strange thing, especially if we grew up in church and everything because we know that Jesus is approachable and we know Jesus died on the cross and we can approach him, we can be forgiven, we can approach a holy and righteous God. We understand that. But in that day and time, because Jesus was considered a rabbi, this lady would also have known that she was not supposed to go up and talk to a rabbi herself. She was definitely not supposed to go up and touch him. It would have been a really wrong thing for a woman in that day and time to let her hair down before someone that was not her husband. So culturally, she would have known that she shouldn't be coming up and, and talking to this new rabbi on the scene in person because she was aware of who she was. She knew she was a sinner, but even though she knew that and she understood the cultural things of that day, she still had the confidence to approach Jesus. People need to know, still yet in our day, that they can approach Jesus. Amen? They need to know that they can have the confidence to approach him. I mean, Jesus said things in the New Testament, like standing with open arms and, and saying things like this, let whoever is thirsty come to me and drink. An invitation for anyone to come. Through the cross of Jesus, we can be reconciled to God and we have faith to approach a holy God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16, the Bible says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the wall of the commandments and the ordinance. Now, I understand, I know enough about the Bible to know that that is talking about like the, the Gentiles and the Jews, but it's also talking about us as sinners being separated from God. He goes on and, and says that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In other words, through the cross of Jesus, you and I can have the confident hope to approach him, to approach holy God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 tells us this, for in him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Once again, through the blood of Jesus, through his cross, we can have the faith and the confidence to approach God, to approach Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 10 tells us we've got redemption, we've got forgiveness, we, we've been united together in him. It says in him we have redemption through his blood. In other words, he paid for our sins. He has bought us with his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, we have forgiveness. According to the riches of his grace, it's not by our works, but it's based upon his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and in insight of making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, notice this, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Through Jesus, we're brought together. Through Jesus, we're united together with a holy, righteous God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says, To him who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Not only can we approach God, we can actually serve him. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. In this passage of scripture we saw last week through the blood of Jesus, we can approach him with a pure conscience. Instead of being worried and brought down with all the guilt and shame in our lives, we can approach him with a pure conscience conscious because of what it says here in Hebrews. Next slide, please. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Through Jesus, through faith in him, we can have a, a conscience that's clear and clean to where we have the confident hope to, to approach God. And lost sinners need to know that. They need to know there's hope for them, that they can approach God. Second thing about this lady today that we're looking at as we think about hope, a story of hope, we can also discover from looking at her actions that forgiven sinners should display a worshipful hope. We, we ought to have a hope that's evident where people see us through our actions worship Christ. This lady of ill repute comes in and she stands behind him at his feet. Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, culturally in that day of time, 
something that socially was supposed to happen was this. If you had a guest in your home, either you or if you were wealthy enough to have servants, you would have servants wash the feet of your guest. They were walking around with sandals. Their feet would naturally get dirty. A customary thing would be to wash their feet when they came into, into your home. But Simon, whose name we learn later on in, in this text that we're looking at, down about verse 40, but Simon had failed to do that. He had not washed the feet of Jesus, who was a guest in his home. What we have happen, though, is this lady of ill repute, this lady of the city, this lady who the Bible tells us was a sinner, she comes in and she comes over to Jesus and she is so moved with love for him that she begins to weep and to cry to the degree that the tears are wet in his feet. Now, that's a lot of tears taking place. Crying and letting the tears drop down on his feet. And then she takes her hair. I'm assuming this is strange for most of you ladies here. You buy good shampoo, conditioner, you want your hair to look good, you fluff it around and things like that. I'll be at a stoplight, women from me. I can tell it's a woman, most, I, I hope it is. <laughs> Fluffing their hair back and, you know, and, every, and everything else and checking it out in the, in, in the mirror. So, you know, you ladies tend to want to take care of your hair. This lady, in an act of worship, cares more about showing appreciation for Jesus in worshiping him that she does whether her hair's clean or not. And she takes the very hair of her head and wipes the dirty feet that with the tears have become maybe a little bit muddy and gets that filth off of his feet with her own hair showing an, an, act, of, an act of worship. Her hope that she had gave her confidence to reach out and touch Jesus. To, to have an outward display that communicated her love for Jesus, her worship of Jesus. I am just would submit to you that maybe if we would recognize all that God has done for us in Christ and all that Jesus did for us on the cross, that you and I ought to have open displays to where people understand that we worship Jesus, that we love him, that we appreciate him. Forgiven sinners not only have a worshipful hope, forgiven sinners may also have a controversial hope. See, the, the faith of this lady causes some controversy in this story. The confident hope that she has to approach Jesus and, and, and touch him and, and cry on his feet and, and wipe his feet with her hair. And once again, as I said earlier, she heard her letting her hair down would have been something that would have shocked this Pharisee because that was only supposed to happen in that day and time before her husband. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, when he saw this lady of ill repute, this lady of the city, this sinner, when this Pharisee sees this sinner touching Jesus, he said to himself, just thought to himself, he didn't talk out loud, he thought to himself, if this were a prophet, not only is this Pharisee judging the woman, this Pharisee is also now judging Jesus. He, he's saying if this man were a prophet, if he's really authentic, he would have known what kind of woman she is, and he would not have allowed her 
to touch him because she's a sinner. And see, regrettably, that's the attitude that self-righteous people can have. That's the attitude that church people can have if we're not careful. That's the attitude that Pharisees will have. To where, you know, we think we're okay. And it'd be okay for us to come over here and touch Jesus. But now sinners, is not, that's not a kosher thing. That's something they shouldn't be doing. That's something that's controversial. How dare this woman do this? And how dare Jesus allow her to, be and do, to, to do this, to reach out and touch him? That's the, the, the mindset that this Pharisee is, is having. He's thinking if he only knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. But see, that's the, that's the beauty of the story. Jesus did know. Jesus knew full well who she was. Jesus knew full well her life story, better than Simon or anybody else. Jesus even knew her life better than she knew her life herself. And Jesus with full knowledge is allowing this lady, this sinner, to come into his presence and touch him. The Bible tells us this. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what? The lost. The Bible also tells us this in, in Matthew. There's a controversial thing that Jesus was doing. Jesus was at a, another gathering. He's reclining at a table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw that, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said this to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and I sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but what? Sinners. Thank God for that. Amen? Because that's who I am. That's who you are. Thank God that he came for sinners. So this Pharisee is judging all this, and how dare he let that happen? How dare she reached out and touched him, and it was a controversy in his own, in his own mind, and, and he was judging both of them because this was taking place. Can I encourage you to do something that I think she does here? You let your faith and your hope in Christ, you let it be controversial and don't care what the rest of the world thinks about it. A self-righteous world will look down on you and say, well, you're a sinner. Yep, we all are. They fail to remember that, amen? Don't hesitate because you're afraid what someone else will think. We need to love Jesus in a way that causes controversy. We need to display our faith in a way that causes controversy. We need to show our hope in this world in a way that causes controversy. And if some self-righteous, legalistic crowd gets upset that sinners are touching Jesus, well, big whoopee. Don't ignore what they think, what you do for Jesus and how you approach Jesus and what you think of Jesus and how you worship Jesus is more important than what anybody else thinks anyway, amen? 
That's why we need to have this, this type of hope that we see this lady have in this story, even though it causes controversy. Hey, let it be controversial. Let the religious crowd scoff. Let them condemn. But thank God we as sinners can access Jesus through faith in his cross. So let your faith in Jesus be controversial. To be honest with you, I think it ought to be. And probably if our faith isn't being controversial in the world which we live in, we're not practicing it as big and as open as we should if it's not controversial. It should be controversial. But number four, forgiven sinners should also have an appreciative hope. An appreciative hope. The actions of this woman... I think give us a picture of someone that's very appreciative or someone that has a thankful hope toward Jesus. Would you notice three things as we look at these last last ten verses to, to close out the message today? But I want you to notice that this appreciative hope that I'm talking about, first of all, is illustrated by Jesus. Jesus knows, because he's God in the flesh, he knows what Simon the Pharisee is thinking in his heart. So Jesus decides to get his attention and tell him a story that should have pricked his heart and caused him to want to have the same faith this lady had. Caused him to want to admit that he was a sinner, to be willing to admit he was a sinner. To cause him to be appreciative. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus gives him this illustration. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, to give you a picture of what that means, in that day and time, one denarii represented about a day's labor. So one guy owed 500 days of labor. It would take him 500 days, everything that he made in that day, to pay the loan back. The other debtor owed 50. So he was in debt for 50 days of labor. And when they could not pay, he, the loaner of the money, canceled the debt of both. Then Jesus asked Simon this question, which one of them should love him more? You see, he's kind of trapped, isn't he? (laughs) Naturally, we would say the same thing that Simon says. Well, the one would love him more that was forgiven the most. The one that had the biggest debt would be the one that loved him the most. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. I I think Jesus is is implying to Simon, you're, you're sitting there judging this lady that you view as a sinner, you're condemning her, you're judging her because she comes in with all this expression of love for me. And you're sitting there judging her for it. And yet the reason she's given such a demonstration of love is that she's fully aware of her need. She's fully aware of her guilt. She's fully aware of how much she was forgiven of. And that's why she comes in and she's worshiping me like this. And he's implying to Simon, Simon, 
you don't think you've been forgiven of a whole lot. You're self-righteous. You don't think there's any reason that you need to be forgiven. You love little because you don't think you've been forgiven very much. That, that's the message that Jesus has given to Simon, this Pharisee, in this illustration. Not only do you have a priest of hope illustrated by Jesus, you also have a priest of hope being demonstrated by this lady that comes in. Verse 44 and 46, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, You see this woman? Do you see her? I mean, of course he did. Because he'd been sitting there judging her. But Jesus is saying, do you really see her? Do you see what's taking place here? Do you really see what she's doing? He said, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. And she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss because it was also customary in that day and time when a guest comes in, you would give them a kiss and to, to welcome them. And, and he said, you didn't do that, but she's not ceased to kiss my feet. He said, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointing my feet with ointment. He said, normally it would be customary that you would anoint my head. She, she's gone down to where my feet are, and you could have just got by by anointing my head. She's down here with my feet, my dirty feet, and she's cleaned my feet, and she's anointing my feet with ointment. She's demonstrating her love. Simon had several social discretions that he had failed to carry through that would have been customary in that day and time. And in a way, you could say this, Simon had sins of omission. Sure, this lady that was a lady of the, of the city, a lady of the street, she had a lot of sins of commission, a lot of things that she had done that were wrong. Simon's back over here thinking how much better I am than this woman because of the way she's lived her life. And yet the Bible also tells us this, if we know to do good and we don't do it, that is a sin to us. So him failing to do what he should have done for Jesus kind of gives us a picture, I think, of someone who has sins of omission in their lives. It's easy for us to look at the life of someone else and say, look what you've done. Look how screwed up you are. Why, you live the life of a prostitute. Look how bad you are. Look how nasty you are. Look at all the bad things you've done in your life. And we fail to recognize the sins of omission in our lives where we are failing to do the things that God tells us to do. And that is sin also. And he's saying, do you see this woman? She loves me. She's proved her love by her actions. Simon, where, where's your actions? Where's your, where's your love? Just maybe we need to ask ourselves similar questions. Where are our actions? Where's our love? How are we demonstrating that to a lost world around us? We also not only have this appreciative hope, this appreciative love illustrated by Jesus and demonstrated by this lady. But I think we can also say this, that appreciative hope in this story is motivated. In other words, we ought to be motivated as this lady was motivated to demonstrate her appreciation, to demonstrate her love, to demonstrate the hope that she had in Christ. Verse 47, the Bible says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. He goes on and he says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. That was Simon's problem. 
And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then the other people there at the table began to say among themselves, who, who is this who even forgives sin? A lot of commentators I read this week sounded like they were judging Jesus too. I don't know you can say that from what's said there. They may have been, they may not have been. But they're saying, who, who is this that even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She had a huge love, a huge appreciation for Jesus. She loved much. Jesus looks at her and says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She had a reason to love much. Jesus said directly to this woman, who most considered to have been a prostitute based on Simon's judgmental words and his attitude toward her, he said, your sins are forgiven. In in Romans chapter 4, the Bible says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Amen? Does that mean something to you? It does to me because I've got sins. Do you have some? You know? None of you are like Rick was the first service. Rick Little, the first service, I, I told him, I said, us bikers know when to admit that we're messed up and everything. As soon as I said that, Rick put his hand up like that. We're all messed up. We're all our sinners. We all ought to be very appreciative. If we know Christ as our Savior, we ought to be very appreciative that, that, that God will not count our sins against us. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Thank God for that. He doesn't remember my sin because when he looks at me, he don't see my sin. He can't see my sin. He sees his son. He sees the very righteousness of Jesus. He sees the blood that was shed on the cross, and that completely covers my sin. God cannot see my sin because he sees the righteousness of his son. And we ought to be so appreciative, motivated with appreciation and thanksgiving and, and love toward Jesus for all that he's done for us. He said, your faith has saved you. So I want you to please notice this. Please, please don't get the wrong message. Don't be under a misconception. Jesus is not saying you're forgiven because you came in and you cried over my feet. He's not saying you're forgiven because you came in and wiped my feet with your hair. He's not saying you're forgiven because you came in and you anointed my feet with ointment. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that your sins are forgiven because of your faith. It was her faith that motivated her to do those things. We're we're not saved because of our actions. We're not saved because of of things that we might go through and demonstrate like that in in our lives. We're not saved by, by our works, by our good works. We're saved by our faith, but that faith that we have in Jesus, being saved by faith, ought to motivate us to show appreciation and love toward the Savior. To be demonstrated in a way that other other people see it. And he tells her to go in peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we've been made just like we've never sinned by faith in Jesus. We have peace with God. We've been brought back together with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As believers who have hope in Jesus, as believers who know our sins are forgiven, we ought to be motivated to have an appreciative hope that the world sees. 
I should not have to go up to someone and say, I love Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that. We ought to do it. Please understand what I'm saying. Nothing wrong with telling someone, I love Jesus. But at the same time, people ought to see actions in our lives to where they know we love Jesus. Even if we never told them. We ought to have an appreciative hope that we demonstrate like this lady does in this story. Simon was blind to the real situation of this woman. Simon was also blind to his own need, to himself. Simon saw her past. That's all he could see. What she had done, that's her past. But Jesus saw her future. Aren't you glad Jesus can see beyond what we've done in the past? And and he sees the future that he has for us. Simon said to himself, she's a sinner. He also should have said, I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. Instead of being judgmental, Simon should have been inspired to reach out by faith and touch Jesus himself, just like this lady does. This woman knew she was guilty of sinning against God, but Simon seems to have no conviction of sin in his own life, and yet he himself also desperately needed to be forgiven, and he could have been if he would just humbled himself and trusted in Jesus. Simon saw the sin. Jesus saw the sinner. There's a big difference there. Simon saw her offenses. Jesus saw the need that she had in her life. Simon saw the depth of her depravity. Jesus saw the magnitude of her love. How big she loved him. And you and I ought to have the hope to show a world around us how big we love Jesus. So where are you today? Do you have a confident hope? Do you know without any doubt that you're forgiven, that you've trusted in Jesus? Do you have the confident hope to where you know you can approach holy God? Do you have the hope to know that you can approach Jesus? And if not, when we get ready to do this thing we call an invitation here in just a moment, I am praying that God will give you the confidence you need to say yes to Jesus if you never have. Do you have a worshipful hope? Those of you that know Christ for sure is your Savior, but but do you have a worshipful hope? Are you demonstrating it in a way that others can see? We're getting ready to ask you to stand and sing here in just a moment. During this time of invitation, do you know what we need to see in this place and what the world needs to see and what law centers need to see? They need to see us have a worshipful hope to where we demonstrate how much we love Jesus. And I want to encourage you, after this service is over with, I want to encourage you to go out in this world in which we live, and I hope you'll have a controversial hope, a controversial faith in Jesus to where you shake the world up. You can shake up the world of self-righteous people. You shake up churches. You can shake up this church. I hope you do. We need to be shook up a lot of times too. You ought to have such a controversial hope in Jesus that it shakes up people. And I hope you'll go and do that. And I really hope today also during this invitation time, if you know Christ as your Savior, that you will have an appreciative hope, a thankful hope for all that he's done for you. Because through faith in him, your sins are forgiven. 
Through faith in him, he doesn't see your sins anymore. Through faith in him, he sees the righteousness of his son. And I hope during this invitation time, you'll think about that and you'll have an appreciative hope. Let's pray. Our Father, God, I I pray to begin with that if there's someone in this place that doesn't have the confidence of knowing for sure that they've been forgiven of their sins, of knowing they can approach you right now, that you'll speak to their heart and you'll give them the confidence they need, the hope they need to believe in Jesus and the finished work on the cross. Help them to understand they can be forgiven of their sins and they can approach Jesus and by faith touch him even as this lady had the confidence to touch you, to reach out and touch Jesus. Father, I pray you give anyone here that doesn't know Christ this morning the faith to be willing to reach out by faith and touch Jesus and be touched by him. Father, help us to worship you right now, not just here in this place, but help us to go out into this world and live lives of worship, lives that show our appreciation. Help us to have such a large hope that we don't care what anybody thinks and have a controversial hope in the world that we live in. Father, help us to be thankful and appreciative for all you've done for us, to display that by our faith and by our hope. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.